Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. I think if we've ever needed Christmas, we need it this year. Uh, today we look at the theme of hope, don't we? Yeah, we do. That's a good thing to clap to. Hope has been at the core of the Jewish faith for the entirety of its existence, from their search for freedom from slavery to hoping for justice to hoping for peace, hoping for a Savior. And when Jesus came, heaven touched earth in a new and profound way. God's glory was seen not by splitting the sea or a pillar of fire, but was embodied in this breakable form of a baby. Jesus, the Savior who rescues us from our despair, our isolation, and our hopelessness of sin, Jesus is our hope. He is hope. I think at times like these that we've been in, everyone seems to be grasping for something or someone to hope in. As the people of God, we have a unique capability and a calling by God to be people with real, true, lasting hope. So let me just jump in, read the text that's going to frame what we're going to talk about today, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to jump on in. Romans 15, 13, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, thank you. I pray that your Spirit would come right now and that you would grab each and every one of our hearts with what Paul says and what we talk about today, that you would bring hope where we don't feel hope, and that you would strengthen hope in us, Lord, that we would be hope carriers everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to look at this through three questions. We're going to look at what is hope, what, is make, what makes biblical hope so much better than what the world has to offer, and how do we live in this hope. So first question, what is hope? Well, hope is essential, isn't it, to every great story? When all hope is lost, but the hero holds on to a thread of hope, it changes the world. Hope is the central theme of a, a dark movie, but one of the most hopeful movies I've seen, Shawshank Redemption. I'm not going to recommend it necessarily because it's got some pretty adult things that I don't know if you'll want to watch. But, you know, I apologize if I'm going to give any spoilers today, but it is 25 years old. So if you haven't heard it yet, sorry. The movie shows how we're wired to need hope as humans. In Shawshank Redemption, Andy is uh, convicted falsely for accusing his wife and her lover. He's put in prison and that's run by a ruthless warden and by violent prison guards. He's befriended by a guy named Red, an older man who was sentenced to life in prison as a teenager for murder. Red is resigned to living the rest of his days in Shawshank Prison. The warden eventually has Andy, who was a banker in his previous, before uh, do his taxes, and actually then directs him to illegal, illegally shuffle prison money into accounts that the warden can get rich off of. While hope was difficult for Andy, Red had absolutely lost hope entirely long ago. He actually tells Andy at one point in the movie, he says, hope is a dangerous thing. Hope will drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. You'd better get used to that idea. And yet Andy never lost hope. He actually tells Red about a dream after so much difficulty about getting out of prison and going to a specific town in Mexico. And one day the guards walk in and find Andy's cell empty. 
He had meticulously chiseled with a small rock hammer for 25 years through the concrete, creating a tunnel that he went through, and then he goes through 300 yards of sewer pipe into the rainstorm. And as he emerges, there's this, there's this picture of him raising his arms to the sky as he tastes his new life for the first time. See, Andy had actually was wise enough that he put the money that the warden had had him steal into various accounts that he now knew how to actually empty those accounts. So he walks away and goes to Mexico, a very wealthy man. But the movie doesn't end there. What makes this movie phenomenal as a movie of hope is that Andy told Red that if he ever got out, he was to go to a certain tree in a certain small town nearby and find something buried underneath it. At the time, Red thinks Andy's crazy. But eventually, Red is actually granted parole. And Red, at first, doesn't think he can stand it on the outside. He thinks he actually contemplates committing a crime to get locked up again. The only thing that keeps him from doing that is his promise to Andy that he will go find this tree and see what Andy buried for him. Well, if you've seen the movie, he pulls out a little can, tin can, and it's got $1,000 in it and a note asking him to remember the town that Andy had dreamed of and spoken of with him. Andy ends the note saying this. He says, Red, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. It touches him and Red, this former murderer hardened by prison who had previously given up on hope, buys a bus ticket. And on his way down to the town that Andy talked about, Red ends the movie with these words. He says, I find I am so excited I can barely sit still and hold a thought in my head. I think it's the excitement only a free man can feel, a free man at the start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as I've always dreamed it would be. I hope. In the last scene, you see Andy and Red hugging on the beach by the side of the blue waters of the Pacific Ocean. What I love most about this movie is it reminds me of the tenacious power of hope. When things are going great, we don't necessarily think about needing hope. But when we walk through our circumstances and they feel like we're crawling through the sewers of life, that's when we need hope. The dictionary defines it simply saying, hope is a feeling, an expectation, a desire for a certain thing to happen. There's no more significant voice in the last 70 years around this issue of hope than a guy named Viktor Frankl, a well-known Jewish psychologist and Holocaust survivor. In his early 20s, Frankl's whole family was sent to the Nazi concentration camps. After two and a half years, out of all of his family, wife, and friends, only he and his sister survived. He wrote about how he and others stayed alive, and he studied it during the horrors of the camps. Frankl noted how people reacted differently. Some people just became bitter and angry and violent with the only goal to survive. Others dealt with loss of, the loss of hope through indifference and apathy. They just gave up, blocked everything out until their body gave out too. Frankel noted that giving up or apathy was actually, interestingly enough, accelerated when hope was not realized. For example, he noticed that just a few months before liberation, between Christmas 1944 and New Year's 1945, that more people died than any other time in the prisons because many had hoped that they would have been freed and released by Christmas. And when they weren't, 
their hope died, and so did they. There's another group who survived through fantasy, as he describes it, dreaming their loved ones were okay and how they were going to be able to go back home and see them and rebuild their careers and wealth once they were liberated. Yet when Frankel followed up with these individuals after their release, they struggled severely because none of those things actually happened. Yet there was a small group of people who survived and after being freed, they were actually, actually able to function quite effectively. These were the ones who had a hope that transcended their circumstances. Some of it was as simple as like a baker who just wanted to bake again, a musician who just wanted to play a piano again. This was a hope that was real, that couldn't be taken away from them. It wasn't dependent upon others or their circumstances. Now we see how crucial hope is in the business world today as well. Gallup did a study a few years back, 10,000 employees, and their conclusion was were that from the, what they needed from leaders was trust, empathy, stability, and hope. The most powerful question Gallup asked, asked followers was about hope. When asked whether their company's leadership made them enthusiastic about the future, in 69% who strongly agreed with that statement, they were very engaged in their jobs. By comparison, those who disagreed with that statement, only 1% were engaged in their jobs. Hope is a powerful thing. Building hope for employees is absolutely essential to sustaining an organization. For them to have increased faith for the future, that's not been easy this year, has it? Especially this year. As leaders in your work and in your home and in your relationships, do you tend to create a dark foreboding vision of what lies ahead or the hope of a better road ahead even in the midst of difficult times? Gallup's strengths-based leadership says it this way. It says, if as a leader you are not creating hope and helping others see a way forward, the chances are no one else is either. In the last couple decades, some psychologists are making a strong argument that actually hope is more than just theory. It's actually science. Researchers working on this define hope as the belief that your future can be better than your past and you play a role in making that happen. Studies show that adults and children with higher hope do better in navigating injuries and disease and sickness and physical pain. They score higher in satisfaction on self-esteem, optimism, and a general outlook on life. They perform better in tests, in work, in sports, in every area of their life. One of the leading researchers who deals specifically with hope in the, in the area of trauma recovery says this. He says, in every published study of hope, every single one, Hope is the single best predictor of well-being compared to any other measures in trauma recovery. He says, otherwise we see this happen. Hope leads to rage and then to despair and then to apathy. In other words, hopelessness. Now the definition of hope, like we've talked about it already, has this valuable insight because it has you look at the cards you've been dealt with in life and instead of wishing for a better life, better circumstances to come to you, you take responsibility for how you want to navigate life. However, the world's definition of hope, I think, still leaves us wanting. Because sometimes, no matter what you do, life doesn't get better. And when we hear people talk about hope, it is so often laced with uncertainty, isn't it? It's like, well, I hope life returns to normal. I hope I'll be able to see family and friends for Christmas. I hope I get a raise. 
It's, it, it's about wishing for the best and hoping it will turn out, kind of like buying a lottery ticket and then you sit back just hoping your number will be called. See, our, our English word for hope really has this connotation of kind of wishing, but it's so uncertain. Like if I were to ask you, are you sure the Buckeyes will win the national championship? Some of you who are diehards are going to say, yeah, but if you actually are honest, you're going to say, no, I'm not so sure. But I hope it will happen. I wish it will happen. Wishful thinking is utterly undependable. It has no power to bring anything to pass in life. Wishful hoping honestly leads to disappointment over and over and over and over again. Has your hope been in the government or the right political party, whichever one you think is right? Has your hope been in yourself or your abilities to make things happen? Maybe your hope has been in another person, your spouse or, or your children. If they love me, if they do well, then I'm good. We all know government disappoints. We all are regularly disappointing ourselves. And we are always regularly being disappointed by other people as well. The biblical word for hope is the exact opposite of wishful thinking. So what makes the biblical hope so much better than what the world has to offer? Hope is found 182 times from cover to cover in the Bible. It's a major theme. Here are the two pri there are two primary words for hope used in the Old Testament with similar meanings in the New Testament. The first word is yakel, which means to wait or to be patient. It's like when Noah had to wait for the floodwaters to recede. The second word is tikva, which means to wait, to hope, to look eagerly, to expect. And there's actually a deeper sense of this word, which comes from its root word, cob, which means a cord or a rope. It's a collection of fibers that are twisted together to make a strong, firm cord. So then the definition of hope biblically is hope then is a feeling of tension and expectation while waiting for something to happen. Like all of these fibers pulling together tightly to produce a tension and an expectation as you wait. We see this kind of hope in Psalm 130, where the psalmist cries out, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. He says, this whole being is waiting. You can, you can sense the tension. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. So we see in this text, the biblical hope doesn't ignore doubt or tension. It actually actively leans into it like a watchman on a wall doing a really important job even though they don't like the night they know the morning is coming they're sure of it there is a surety to hope hope is strong in the tension i love the way eugene peterson puts it he says this hoping does not mean doing nothing it's not fatalistic resignation it means going about our assigned tasks, confident that God will provide the meaning and the conclusion. What we see in the Bible is that hope, waiting, expectation, anticipation is often also accompanied by joy and pleasure. Christian hope is a posture we take because we are assured God is working in and through all things and it isn't empty optimism. I mean, optimism isn't bad. But often optimism is rooted in anything but real substance. It's kind of a vague optimism that somehow things are going to work out in the end. 
I don't know about you, but I've actually discovered that I don't really always like being around extreme optimists when things aren't going well because extreme optimists are often not helpful. Optimists are often don't enter the complexity of life with honesty. But true Christian hope requires honesty. As Christians, we don't deny reality, but look through and past these things with a hope of restoration and redemption that only Christianity offers. We have a hopeful realism. We understand the consequences of sin and how sin affects everything in our world, including people and nature, and we can also be the most hopeful people because we believe in a God who makes dead things live again, who can restore everything the way it ought to be, and who is currently in the process of doing that now. Jesus is the backbone for what we hope in. We are hopeful realists. The world needs us. Christian hope is at its core different than optimism. Christian hope looks and it, it gazes at the brokenness of the world, knowing things may not get better, and it doesn't just sing Christian platitudes of Christmas joy, but rather it pushes its way into, we push our way into the brokenness of the world, bringing the light of God's love and kingdom everywhere we go. So this past week I found myself checking my investments, saying things like, I hope this stock I bought goes up. One of them, Jeremy, told me between services did, thankfully. I didn't look at it, so that's good news. As I thought about it, though, what I was actually saying was more of a wishful hope. And the question, one of the big questions for us as we look at hope in our life is, when we have a wishful hope, how can we turn those wishes into God-focused hopes, flipping them into a prayer of worship to God? For me, that looked like this last week, saying, God... Instead of getting the anxiety of the wishing that it would go up, God, thank you that you are my provider, that you have my present and my future needs in your hand. Thank you that you are good and landing in that place of hope and worship. It leads us to wonder, what is the difference between faith and hope? Faith is defined in Hebrews 11 this way. It says, now faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. So we can't actually have one without the other. Faith and hope are complementary. Faith is complete trust and confidence in something or someone. Faith involves intellectual agreement with the facts of who God is, and even more than that, trust in Him, in His goodness, personally, in His power, and in His promises, and how personally He wants to be in our lives. Hope is built upon faith. It's the confident, pleasing expectation that naturally stems from faith. It's similar to when we tell our kids, we're going on a vacation to the ocean. They believe us because of our past actions. They can trust that we're going to follow through. That's faith. It's grounded in the reality of the past. This faith sparks, though, an irrepressible joy. That's hope. A child trusts their parents' promise, faith, and a child is jumping with joy and delight, expressions of hope. The coming belief, expecting to be able to go to the beach, put your feet in the sand, and play is hope. So when they're like, when are we going? Is it today? These are expressions of hope. Without hope, there, without faith, there is no hope. Without hope, there is no faith. Biblical hope is certainty about the future, 
living now in a way that's transformed because of what we know will happen in the future. I've heard this illustration given by many times, but Tim Keller, it's, it's a fantastic illustration, so I'm going to borrow it. Imagine there are two people, two different rooms of the same size, two lights, two, the same lighting, same humidity, same temperature, and each one of these people, these two different people, are given the exact same job to do. They're to screw part A to part B over and over and over and over and over again, 10 hours a day. Same circumstances, same conditions. But one person is told at the end of the year, you're going to make $10,000 for doing this job. The other person is told you're going to do the same job and you're going to make $1 billion. It's no longer the same job, is it? Because how you do your job, how you think about life, how you think about your job depends on what you believe the future is. The person making only 10000 is probably saying, man, this job is so boring and tedious and unbearable. I'm going to quit. Don't you think this job stinks? And the one making a billion dollars is going, this is not so bad. I can do this. Identical circumstances are experienced differently because they have two different futures in mind. Christian hope definitely affects how we live in the present, but it is firmly established in the future. The illustration of the billion dollars is as Christians, we remember that living is not all about here and now. As Christians, we have a hope that there is a God who brings life here on earth, but our world is still riddled with sin. It's not perfect. The billion dollars is our hope for eternity with God, with a new heaven and a new earth, perfection, where every tear will be wiped away. That's our billion dollar hope that is also breaking into our reality now. The truth infiltrates our hearts and our lives. The person who does not have Christian faith and doesn't believe there's an afterlife, that belief also infiltrates your heart. What you believe about the future penetrates you. Without Christian hope, it brings a weariness and a meaninglessness. It's why many don't have hope and live only for the moment. That's the reason so many people go into debt for pleasures now and, and greatly damage their future prosperity by doing so. They don't have a hope that is strong enough to restrain or focus their actions now for something that is far better in the future. So here's the second question. How do we live in this hope? Or third question. Here's, here's what Paul prays for, prays for us in Ephesians 1. He says, Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So the eyes of your heart, this, this is referring to, this is our entire being, our intellect, our emotions, and our will that you will be so affected by hope that you have in Christ in, that, it, that in your heart, your heart is burning and your mind and your will are compelled in a direction by that hope. This hope saturates your entire life. And Paul prays for the Holy Spirit to help us know this hope. Here's a good question. When's the last time you prayed for Holy Spirit to help you know hope in your situation? Paul continues his prayer. He says, The eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What, you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, saints is not a super good person. Saint is anybody who has chosen to believe in Jesus. But what about this idea of inheritance? 
It's interpreted actually in two ways in the Bible. One is that we are heirs of a vast fortune in heaven, or two, that we are God's special inheritance. Actually, both of those interpretations are true running throughout Scripture. So let's look at both of them. First, let's look at the interpretation of that we are God's inheritance for a moment. Again, let me borrow an illustration I love from Keller. He says, it's like asking someone who owns an incredible piece of art worth $150 million, but to them, that art is priceless. They're never going to sell it. They love to look at it. They love to sit before this piece of art. That's what this verse is saying about how God looks at you as his inheritance. The God of the universe who created all the galaxies and the stars considers you, those who are in Christ, his treasure. When he looks at you, God feels rich. That is how much he values you. Can you imagine what it would be like if we truly understood that's the way God is looking at me, at you? And then add to that understanding the idea that he gives us a vast fortune as an inheritance. Whatever good we have ever wanted, ever longed for, will be multiplied by a trillion times. Unless you allow, as Paul says, the Holy Spirit to illuminate the eyes of your heart so that you can grasp this, how good God thinks of you, and let that saturate you in the inheritance he has planned for to give you, your life will never be full of hope. You will go around trying to get awards and compliments and accomplishments to make yourself feel good because you don't know who you really are. God is full of hope. God is the most hopeful realist ever. God knows us as humans. God knows the impact of, of the curse of sin better than anyone. He's been working for thousands of years to bring good out of bad, resurrection out of death, to bring redemption out of rebellion. God knows how it all plays out as well. He knows how it all ends and how good his ways are. See, God is hopeful, and he brings that hope to you and me. And this is the hope that you and I get to carry. Confident his kingdom is breaking into our reality now, and confident that the best things are still yet to come, no matter what's going on around us. This is what holds us steady in the midst of chaos, be it pandemics or political divisions or social unrest or personal or family struggles. This is the hope that grounds us, that we can be buoyed by something greater that has happened and something greater that will happen again. See, Paul says hope abounds. And abounding means overflowing, radiating. It's, it's the idea that it's too much to contain, so it flows out of us. It's obvious. We're literally drenched in hope, and others see it. It shapes everything about us. This is what he's praying that we would live like and experience. Like, I know we all don't live there on, on a regular basis all the time, right? It, but it's intended to shape how we think about others and our world and ourselves. See, I think people today are exhausted by false optimism. They need people who radiate the rock-solid hope of Jesus, people who are living in the reality that God came out victorious 
from the cross. Hope is the fuel of faith. It's the fuel of dreams. It's the fuel of possibilities. It doesn't matter now how difficult the year has been. No matter the problems you are facing right now, never abandon hope in God. Hope is alive even in the most hopeless situations. Hope is refusing to believe that suffering is random or permanent or meaningless. It is the stubborn resistance against futility and fatalism that suggests that injustice is perpetually inevitable. It is, the furious, it is furiously holding on to a yet-to-be-seen positive outworking in the future. See, Paul says in Colossians 1 this way, he says, Hope to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are the carriers of hope vaccine. It's in your blood. It's deep down in your soul if you are a follower of Jesus and the Spirit of God is in you and there are people facing sickness, people hurting, people in pain that need the lifeblood of hope that you've got it within you. And you've been called to proclaim hope. Let's preach it. Let's proclaim it. Let's live it with our lives. In Luke chapter 2, we see Mary and she's in a cave. She's in the middle of the hay and the stink of the animals are all around her. And she has hope in her hand. She has the Christ child, and she puts this little child in a dusty, dirty, stinky little manger. Think about the surroundings. Just, just imagine that. And then the shepherds show up, and they, the, the angels that came to them, and they glorify God. And Scripture says that Mary treasured these things in her heart. It's the expectation, the anticipation of hope bubbling up within her in expectation, treasuring them in her heart. I mean, all the surroundings around her could have spoken to her that there's no hope. You're just a poor person in a filthy stable. But that's not a response. The circumstances around her didn't matter. Hope overtook her. Can we be the same way receiving what God is bringing to us? So how can we live this out this week? Well, if you're like me, maybe this is a good way to do it. I, I've been trying to make a list in my mind of things that I've been hoping for in life. And then I've been examining that list and, and asking the question, is this really just wishful thinking or is, this, or, or is this biblical hope? And like I did for the investments in other areas, I'm, I'm trying to turn those wishes into prayers and worship of Jesus in a way that those hope, this hope for those areas now transcends the very specific thing I'm hoping for. God wants you to have hope from him that overflows. But that starts as well in relationship with him. So if you're listening online or you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it begins in a relationship with him. And that relationship starts by you simply owning your sin asking him forgiveness for your sin, and committing your life to follow him as the master of your life. It doesn't require magic or right words. Just use your own words. Just talk to God. Tell him those things and make that commitment to become his. In a moment, we're going to celebrate baptizing four people. We did two in the first service. We're doing two more in this service who prayed that same prayer and made that same commitment and now are declaring that commitment publicly. And as we baptize them in a moment, would you cheer raucously for them?
Would you just make this a great celebration? Would you join me in prayer? God, thank you. Thank you so much that you are a God of hope, that you know the reality of all things, and because of what you did in Jesus, the outcome is secure in you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us be people of stubborn, true hope. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and breathe on us afresh that we would abound in hope because, Lord, we know it's difficult. We know we don't always stay there. And, Lord, we need your Spirit to come and fill us and stoke that, that hope in us and help us see things with the perspective that you see them from. So, Lord, I pray that your Spirit would rest on each and every one of us this week, that we would be filled with your Spirit and filled with hope. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.